welcome to another episode of Pulp Today. I'm your host, David Avalone. Still drinking. Hmm. Lots of stuff. So we've talked about Avalone and then Hammett and then Kane. Avalone because I play a favorite, obviously. But obviously, also, next we got to talk about Raymond Chandler. Raymond Chandler definitely is inspired by Hammett create some beautiful short stories and novels in the tradition started by Hammett. And he admits it. He writes this great essay in December of December 1944 called The Simple Art of Murder, in which he, uh, he dissects what the murder story, the detective story, has been and how Hammett kind of dragged it kicking and screaming into the real world. He's particularly hard on the very popular... English style of mystery, uh, where the murder is incredibly complicated. Every character has a motive, everyone is a red herring. And people behave in a way, and I think he's right about this, that no human being on earth has ever behaved. And I say this as someone who enjoys Agatha Christie, while also realizing they're they're almost fantasy novels like J.R.R. Tolkien for their for their for their resemblance to the real world. In his essay, uh, Chandler talks about how the police never have any trouble finding someone who tries to get cute with their murder. But someone who started planning a murder two minutes before they committed it, that's a little trickier to deal with. A good friend of mine, Mandy Kiefitz, uh, very nicely got me the Atlantic Monthly, in which The Simple Art of Murder first appeared from 1944. Uh, reports about the Allies entering Paris. It's a really, it's a really amazing magazine. But in order to not damage it, I'm going to read you the last couple of pages of uh, the Simple Art of Murder from the '70s. I'm going to say. When is this paperback from? Fourth printing, 1980. Cover goes back to '72. Uh, Simple Art of Murder collects four or five of uh, Chandler's short stories, but starts with the essay Simple Art of Murder. And here in this last section, he talks about what Hammett achieved. And also he lays out the definition of what kind of hero you need in the realistic, quote-unquote, murder mystery. Here we go. The realist in murder writes of a world in which gangsters can rule nations and almost rule cities, in which hotels and apartment buildings and celebrated restaurants are owned by men who made their money out of brothels, in which a screen star can be the fingerman for a mob, and the nice man down the hall is a boss of a numbers racket, a world where a judge with a cellar full of bootleg liquor can send a man to jail for having a pint in his pocket, where the mayor of your town may have condoned murder as an instrument of money-making, where no man can walk down a dark street in safety because law and order are things we talk about but refrain from practicing. A world where you may witness a holdup in broad daylight and see who did it, but you will fade quickly back into the crowd rather than tell anyone, because the holdup men may have friends with long guns, or the police may not like your testimony, and in any case the shyster for the defense will be allowed to abuse and vilify you in open court before a jury of selected morons without any but the most perfunctory interference from a political judge. It is not a fragrant world. But it is the world you live in, 
and certain writers with tough minds and a cool spirit of detachment can make very interesting and even amusing patterns out of it. It is not funny that a man should be killed, but it is sometimes funny that he should be killed for so little, and that his death should be the coin of what we call civilization. This is still not quite enough. In everything that can be called art, there is a quality of redemption. It may be pure tragedy. If it is high tragedy, and it may be pity and irony, and it may be the raucous laughter of the strong man. But down these mean streets a man must go who is not himself mean, who is neither tarnished nor afraid. The detective in this kind of story must be such a man. He is the hero. He is everything. He must be a complete man and a common man and yet an unusual man. He must be, to use a rather weathered phrase, a man of honor, by instinct, by inevitability, without thought of it, and certainly without saying it. He must be the best man in his world, and a good enough man for any world. I do not care much about his private life. He is neither a eunuch nor a satyr. I think he might seduce a duchess, and I am quite sure he would not spoil a virgin. If he is a man of honor in one thing, he is that in all things. He is a relatively poor man, or he would not be a detective at all. He is a common man, or he could not go among common people. He has a sense of character, or he would not know his job. He will take no man's money dishonestly and no man's insolence without a due and dispassionate revenge. He is a lonely man, and his pride is that you will treat him as a proud man or be very sorry that you ever saw him. He talks as the man of his age talks, that is, with rude wit, a lively sense of the grotesque, a disgust for sham and a contempt for pettiness. The story is this man's adventure in search of a hidden truth, and it would be no adventure if it did not happen to a man fit for adventure. He has a range of awareness that startles you, but it belongs to him by right, because it belongs to the world he lives in. If there were enough like him, the world would be a very safe place to live in, without becoming too dull to be worth living in. That's Raymond Chandler defining the private eye. You might have uh, noticed a phrase in there, down these mean streets a man must go who is not himself mean. The people who make crime fiction in the present day often mine Hammett and Chandler for uh, evocative phrases, and so too did uh, Martin Scorsese mine that essay for mean streets. It is a terrific phrase. So that's Raymond Chandler, that's the definition of a private eye. The next time we talk about Chandler, I have two more things to do with Chandler. You notice I'm not very interested in his private life. He might seduce a duchess, but he would refrain from uh, despoiling a virgin. Well, I have a quote from one Chandler book about despoiling duchesses and another one about refraining from virgins, which I think uh, you'll find interesting. Till then, sayonara. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.